And here we go, another installment of Banker with a Beer presented by Northwestern Bank. I'm Scott. Across the way is Jerry. Jerry's got a, a great beverage we have here. This is going to be, this is this is what Banker was. Banker with a Beer is all about, something unique. We're going to have that. As far as our guest goes, a well-known personality in the Chippewa Valley. So a great show ahead of us. I'm excited about this, Scott. Although we, I think our weather's gotten bipolar on us because we've gone from winter to fall to now we're back to fall again. So uh, we'll see what's going on with that. Well, we're kind of in, we're kind of bouncing in between uh, pumpkin spice latte season and peppermint mocha season, bouncing back and forth. But speaking of coffees. There's something involved with that with the beverage. I know you're going to talk about that in a second, a teaser on the beverage. But why don't you tell us who the guest is going to be? We have a great guest today, Scott. Uh, Bill Bertrand from One Auto Group is here today, and he's going to be giving us the insight on uh, buying and selling uh, vehicles here. Uh, It's an incredibly changing time in the automobile world, and I think Bill's perspective on things are going to be... uh, incredibly interesting. So, Bill, welcome on board. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. So, I, I when I got the invitation, I'm like, you got to be kidding. And then I show up when there's a coffee beverage. So, this is this is going to be a big day for me. Well, and I'm glad you're stretching because Bill's more of a, of a lighter beer guy, but we're, we're, we're taking him deep. You're and making fun of me on that, aren't you? Well, Already. no. I mean, everyone enjoys what they like. And um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this... Unfortunately, it's anything but a light beer. This is a tweak. This is from Avery Brewing in Boulder, Colorado. It's a coffee, uh, coffee stout, aged in bourbon barrels. So this is this is going to kind of take deep and dark. That being said, it's a little more of a sipper. So uh, I'm sure I'll I'll pour the beverages. And uh, Scott, you can bring Bill on board. Well, outstanding. Uh, and of course, a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, with Bill, but a chance for us to dive a little deeper into some things here. And Bill, it's been a couple of years since you've been on, on this program here. Watch update people on what's been happening with you guys, because, of course, a lot of people are familiar with you with Chippewa Valley Mazda. But it's now been a couple of years since you expanded. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's been a whirlwind for me. Right. So we kind of uh, I decided to buy the old automotive group that I worked out and represented, uh, you know, for many, many years of my career uh, right during the height of COVID. So my timing was perfect to uh, jump in business all on my own. And I bought uh, Chippewa Valley Mazda and kind of went off on this venture and thought that was going to be it. Um, You know, fast forward a little bit, I think less than a year later, um, I had the opportunity to jump on board with uh, a really great brand of dealerships and partner with them. uh, And that's the Ken Vance Automotive family. So all this kind of goes on and happens um, unexpectedly to me. Um, we just grew and grew and grew. So we we kind of have now tried to figure out who we are and what our identity is, right? So a lot of people have heard the the lingo we've been rolling around the, the valley for the past couple of years now, the One Automotive Group. And that's really just kind of building our brand family together because now we've still got our Vance, which is a great heritage, and we've still got Chippewa Valley Mazda. Um, and that's what I've been doing. I've been, um, where, which I'm not always my best at, um, spending my time behind a desk. But I'm going to tell you, I've spent a lot of time behind a desk and in an office over the past couple of years. So it's like, I mean, to get out and get to drink a beer today um, and get to be social again is like pretty exciting. Well, the beverages have been poured, a very thick Looking beverage Does here. Does this come with a spoon? <laughs> <laughs> Away we go. Boys, that is thick. That is. 
Oh, that thing's got some flavor. That is a lot, uh, lot of O's in that smooth. Yeah. And the key is with a with a beverage like this, you definitely uh, let it pass over the tongue. This is not. Uh, <laughs> this is quality over quantity. This is not a ninety degree July day. How many can you have? This will and oh, the coffee kicks in there. At the yes, end. Feel yeah, feel it. it yeah. definitely. There's a lot going on there. It's it's a beverage. It's almost like you know, like a like almost like a dark cho- chocolate bar. So if you if you like dark dark chocolate, maybe like one of these, you know, eighty percent or eighty five percent chocolates. This is what this well, is. I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. There's a little bit of a danger to this. I taste more coffee and dark chocolate than I do the alcohol. I so. do too. I do too. It reminds <laughs> me of when you're a kid and you go to the Christmas box and you get the candy and you. You snarf down all the milk chocolate first, and then you get to the really like the dark chocolates in there that the adults like. That's what it tastes like. It's, That's it. It's good. And this is an example of why we, you know, bank with a beer, expand your horizons, try something new. And I know Jerry's got a, a list of some great questions here, but I think that plays right in. You know, you know Bill's Bill Bill more of a of a of a light beer drinker. So so am I actually. You try something different. You bought. You know, another dealership. You expanded. You, you took a you took a risk, even just to buy out the first group there. What went into that into that mindset there to say, you know what, I'm going to take the plunge? Because we've seen a lot of people do it in the last two, three years. To go, all right, it's been nice working for someone, maybe having authority, but I want to be the person making the shots you know i think what what really happened for me and this is with no disrespect to the group uh, the original group that i bought out but for me um i watched the evolution of that career right like the person i worked for in the old automotive group um was a heritage dealer he'd been a dealer for a number of years and he was very much uh, and i don't want this to sound insincere but i mean he was very much built on the foundation of people the culture in the company and things like that in my situation, what happened is that a private equity had came in to partner with me. I was a minority owner in that store, and that made me pull levers, right? That made me think differently um, you know, about where I wanted to be up the road, and it made me probably think my risk tolerance was higher because of that. Um, things were changing in that environment, and not, not necessarily to say wrong, but just in a different business model, right? And I think, you know, I originally moved against my will to the Chippewa Valley. Like it was, I, I moved here kicking and screaming. I'd lived in a big city. Um, I had to come over here. At that moment in time, um, you know, RIP heckles, that was all that was here at, and open at eight o'clock at night. Um, and it was just like, wow, what am I doing here? But I, I fell in love and I fell in love with the community and I fell in love with the people and and the way of life here, right? Like it's just you you can't go to a grocery store without running into somebody you know. The way the valley gives back is is completely different than being in a large metro area and all those things I fell in love with. And that was for me watching that company change um, was the driving force that said I I need to do this differently. I wanna I wanna take a leap. I wanna own this. And and I had been offered a, a great position with a, a huge online startup car company. And I, I was right there rolling the dice and said, I'm going to take this job. I asked um, in a, because I had nothing to lose, right? I was leaving and I put it out there um, and, you know, they were they were great. They were like, hey, you can we're going to let you go ahead and do this. We're going to let you live your dream. I had no idea what was coming after that, um, that these the acquisition, these other stores would happen. But that's honestly what what started it for me. So what is then, Bill? So what is the one automotive group? I mean, t- kind of for those of those of us who are kind of in the industry or understand kind of what it's about for, for more of the casual listener, what does it all entail? 
So, you know, I mean, there's two sides of that, right? Like when we're as, as dealers, we all want to brand our companies a certain way. So we could look at it, you know, at that surface level and say, well, one automotive group is, is their brand. And that's how people recognize who they are, much like, you know, Apple, which I, I know I get it. One automotive group is a stretch away from being recognized like Apple. But it's an identity, right? But at the end of the day, it was really kind of built off, you know, we, we kind of coin ourselves wonderful. We use the term one automotive group. And the reason we did that were twofold. Um, for the customer journey, and I look at the customer experience, you know, they needed to be treated like they're one, not multiple. So when we say one, everything's built off that on how we work with our customers. There's one point of contact. They're not coming into a traditional dealership and being filtered through, through what I'll call the system. It's like going to the DMV. You go up in certain, in a lot of stores that are traditional old school car dealerships and you're in the funnel. You meet the sales manager and his job is pretty specific, right? It's to come beat you up until you say yes. If you say no to your sales guy, um, you know, he goes behind the door, um, gives you a trade number, comes back out and says, what do you think of that? Which if, I'm guessing the majority of you have figured out that's not your moment to be like, yes, I'll take it. Um, you know, we the, it's all this, it was as, as it has a stigma of trickery behind it. So one is that you're going to work with one person and that person's going to be knowledgeable. They're going to be capable. Um, they're going to be driven, not based on commission, um, not based on what they sell you, but rather just satisfying your needs. And no matter what they sell you, it all pays the same in a one automotive group store. So fundamentally from that side of it, it's one. And we really looked at other things in it, in naming that and having our, our ad agency, if you will, brand those things like, hey, it, we're one in a community and we want to give back and it's wonderful and that makes sense. And we're one with our employees. We're one team. We have multiple rooftops, but we're one team. We collaborate together. We work together. And so it fit the business model. It fit our branding model. It fit the community we live in and it fit our people. And I, that that's what One Automotive is. But while you are one, though, you're also, I mean, you have... Uh different manufacturers that you're working with. So what are the challenges and benefits of selling vehicles uh, with different manufacturers? I mean, that's got to be unique. Yeah, it's like a parent with, you know, six different foster kids, right? Like they all come with their own set of challenges and they all come with different needs for the brand and a different demographic of buyer and, you know, all of those things, um, you know, it, it makes the brand unique. And you look at, you know, we have a Honda store and Honda store has a very um, different demographic than what a Mazda store has. Their, their inventory um, selection is quite different, even though everybody says, you know, hey, we're building a car to compete with this brand. The person buying them on the other side of it is is by profile just a different person. Um, you know, a person buying a Honda is going to um, you know is is going to be an age dem demographic that's different, um, and and those all those nuances exist, but the nuances of the brand itself exist as well. And we've really experienced that over the past few years, right? Like we have lived through but the craziest of times with inventory shortages, and they were all different for every single manufacturer. Um, some would have cars at this point in time, and then a month later they would have no cars. And so we you know, really learned how to navigate all of those things as well. Um, it's, it's the joy of it. What I like about what I didn't have, and now I'm telling you, you know, it's, I'm, I'm about five foot five tall if you've ever seen me in person, but you know, I feel like I've gotten taller in brands, so we're able now... My favorite part of this is a holistic customer journey, right? So when somebody comes to our store and, you know, they're, they have graduated from the Mazda brand, but now they've grown with family and they have children 
and the needs change. Um, you know, in the Mazda world, we didn't have a lot of cars to put people in to, to keep them part of the one automotive family. So with a Honda store, now you have a minivan or our Hyundai store, you have a, a Hyundai Palisade. And so being able to take people as they grow in a brand journey, um, be it new or used and have more selection and more things to offer, it's it's really lent itself a lot of advantage to us. So if I show up at your Honda store and the vehicle that I'm looking for, so geez, I'm looking for a pickup or I'm looking for something different. Are your uh, salespeople at that store empowered then to refer you to the Hyundai store, to the Mazda store, elsewhere. And that's back to that one, right? And and so when a salesperson at one of our rooftops comes in, uh, manufacturers have specific requirements about a salesperson selling a new car. There's certification requirements that they have to meet. Um, it is very specific in the, in the journey and the expectation that the brand has. So we have to meet up to those. So if somebody comes in and they're working with a person at our Honda store and we show them, let's say a Honda Pilot, and the Honda Pilot just doesn't suit their needs and it's not not right for them. What our people are empowered to do is say, hey, you know, are there other models you're looking at? And through an interview process, you know, we typically find that out. And then we'll refer them to somebody else in another store so that they get the right experience, right? They get somebody knowledgeable and certified on that product. But in used car world, is a very good point that you make. Our, our people are empowered. If you meet somebody at our Honda store and you say, gosh, I was here to look at that used pickup you have on the lot, but I don't know. Um, if there's another one on another lot, they just take them there and show it to them, and they take them through the whole journey. And we're, we just coexist store to store. So it's very transparent to the guest. Now, one thing I've been reading a lot about, and I look at, like say, the, the Tesla experience. They don't have dealerships per se. You order online, they drop it off at your house. What do you see the role of dealerships, especially local dealerships, coming in that world? Do you see people gravitating towards that model, or is that model just kind of just unique to Tesla? So, great question. First of all, I did not know it was okay to cuss on this because <laughs> you said Tesla. Um, it's, it's an anti-dealer model, right? Sure. Um, but I think that um, it's an ingenious um, uh, branding, and it's an ingenious way of selling a car. Um, and I don't think, well, it fits, it suits a certain demographic of the population. It just doesn't fit everybody. I do think that one, uh, disruptors, we'll call them disruptors like Tesla um, and COVID, both made the industry start to think about how we do business differently. Car people are really slow to adapt. And I think that forced us to say, this is, we got to do business differently. So yes, um, I think there's a space now that has driven people like us, dealers like One Automotive, to be more embracing of technology, making delivery transactions to homes. And those are things we do. We deliver to homes now. We do most of the journey online. There's digital tools that will allow that. And then there's an element of people who just aren't going to buy something. What do you do with a used car? Would you hop online, buy a used car that you never seen before, and just take a chance having it delivered to your door? Most people are going to want to experience a drive in that car, seeing what nicks and scratches are on it, what its condition really is. Does it smell like a cigarette inside? Um, you know, things like that. Um, so I think there's always a place for both. And I think that's what we found is that we have to be able to accommodate what the needs of all customers are, not just one model. And I think playing off of, off of that, you know, getting a car, whether it's a used car or it's a new car, is a major purchase for for people. You know, at best, you're paying multiple hundreds of dollars for, a, for the loan every month. People have gotten used to going online and, and people have gotten used to searching for things. 
how far do you ultimately see that shift going, though? How comfortable will people get? I, I, the way I see it right now, and of course you see it much more than I do, they'll research online, they'll see kind of what they want, but then eventually they want to have a salesperson, they want to have a member of the team that can guide them through the rest of the way, guide them through those last 10 yards into the end zone. Take it, look at it like this, right? Like look at the stocks of these online companies that are strictly devoted to a sales model that's online in the car industry. That would be um, a Carvana, that would be a Vroom. Um, And you look at what's happened to them during the pandemic, they had such a spike in their stock, right? They're both publicly traded um, and their, their stocks went wild. But now you look at the journey as the customer, as the world opened back up and you go, OK, like the, sc- the scary part about that is, is it did the customer adopt it? And what's happened is their their profits have shrunk. They've never made neither of those companies have ever produced a positive um, financial statement. So they're just getting fueled again and again and again. Um, and their stocks have dropped massively. I mean, I think Vroom was 61 cents yesterday when I checked it. I think that. Um, I don't. I just think what happens. The take rate, by the way, for an online transaction in the average car dealer. And when I say take rate, means how many people that go online. We have that resource that actually will complete the journey 100% online and buy the car. It's less than 5%. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to adopt it, and I don't, and, and have that tool available. But I think that anybody who totally throws all their eggs in that basket, there's fear of that model probably breaking at some point in time. One of the just kind of a fun thing there, and. and People that you know, drink the beer while I, I bring this up, but the, the the old joke was, of course, dealerships were were closed on Sundays, and that was the time where people could could drive with drive around the dealership without the fear of a of a salesperson knocking on their shoulder and all of that. The you guys obviously have lots of cameras and all that. Do you still see people stop by on Sunday? That's their day to kind of peruse around. It might be old fashioned, but there's there's something kind of comforting in that. What do people <laughs> do on Sunday when they want to be out and about? They go for a drive and they always end up on a car dealership lot. So, you know, we're not open because of the blue laws in the state of Wisconsin. We're actually proponents of never being open um, for Sundays. And most of us dealers are. But at the end of the day, you can come in on a Monday morning, you look at your cameras, and there's actually more traffic on that lot on a Sunday, especially in the summertime or right at dusk. People are out getting an ice cream or something, and your lots are just full, and you're like, God, I wish we were open. But they're there because we're not open. It's a it's a way that they know they're not going to get approached by you know a car salesperson. It's, it's a chance to window shop. It's a chance to touch and look. And some people are probably serious, and some are just out enjoying. And either way, it's great. It brings traffic in. Well, Bill, I mentioned before uh, I used the T word. That, oh, you did. <laughs> that, but I think there's there's a flip side to that that I think is just as important. And so a, a few years ago, a couple years ago, my wife and I went up to the Minnesota State Fair, and they had Excel uh, Energy had an exhibit where you could drive an electric car, and kind of getting people used to it. And certainly, Excel selling electricity, having electric electric cars or something they they were a proponent of and tried to support what they said though and this was this is a little unsettling to me as, as we are taking this this test drive is my wife said well all right my understanding is that as the weather gets colder or it gets very cold what happens to the battery and well it it, it reduces okay well and, and the challenges with an electric car is that everything is off the battery this is, includes your defroster. This includes your heater, your seat heater. Your everything is off the battery, and as the weather or as the temperatures drop, the battery's capacity 
reduces accordingly. Now, if you're down in Florida, that's not a big deal. If you live up here and there are days in January where the high temperature could be, I don't know, four below, uh, that really severely limits what you can do or can't do. My question to you after this massive introduction is our electric cars, at this point anyway, a good fit for the upper Midwest? And that's an easy answer for me to say. And I, and I actually hate saying it because I, I embrace the thought process. I love the thought process. But the answer is easily no. And the problem with that is I, I think it depends on the person's needs. But the niche that would it would work for and that would fit would be a daily commuter who's going to go 10 miles back and forth and is is very charged about environment, you know, the environment. For the average commuter in where we live, you kind of hit it right on the head. Um, vehicles, the, the battery sustainment right now, the, the ability for a car, like most cars today, show an EV range when you buy them around 300 miles. That's 300 miles in perfect driving condition. So what we have to do is backwards into that. And we have to say, okay, factor in the cold weather. What are you also running in super cold weather? You're running a heater, which is drawing on only power on your battery. If you've got your phone charged, you've got your phone plugged in, you got your radio on, your Bluetooth set up, all those things. Now you're even farther down the road of drawing on that battery. So here's what happens. And even Florida, this, this happened. Um, it, t it cuts in, a, in the upper Midwest. It's going to take that range, depending on the temperature outside, and take it from 300, probably down to 150, 160 miles. We don't have the best charge point network. So there might be substantial distance between going from point A to point B. So you have to feature yourself headed to Green Bay. And along the path, you've got to navigate yourself to a charge point. You're going to spend 45 minutes to get yourself back to a full charge. Um, and then you're going to be able to get on about your day. So it's going to add time to your trip. It's going to add inconvenience to your trip. And it's just not, re it's just not realistic right now. So I think... I think that, you know, what has happened is um, you're hearing this this very much in our industry right now because now the OEMs, the manufacturers, each brand is very much pushing back. They're very much saying, we're not selling these cars. They have went flat in sales. There was the early adopters who bought EV cars and really saw this as the, the solution to the puzzle. But now they're on the other side of it. And it's like, yeah, this isn't this isn't going to work. And so they've stopped buying and now there's huge incentives on them. Um, the government's really pushing for it because there's pressure on the on the OEMs from the government to meet these standards. And they're, the sad part is, is nobody wants to give up. Nobody wants to say it's not realistic in the moment in time that we're in. And that's difficult. Are, are you currently selling electric cars right now at your dealerships? We do. We sell them. Um, but I would tell you that um, the cycle of, of people buying them has really slowed down. You know, we at our Volkswagen store, we sell the ID4. It's a great vehicle. And if it's the right car for that person, it's fantastic. But they have to know the consequences or the, the, the compromises that they're going to make as a consumer owning that car. And the only ones we're selling those to are really people who have adopted EV technology. And that's less and less in our markets. So we talked about electrical. We've talked about one, one automotive group a bit. What brand would you like to bring to the Chippewa Valley, if you could? I mean, there's probably realistic and that what would be if there's a vehicle you'd love to bring on, but maybe possibly can't. But where, 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 do you, where are you in that process? Oh, this is fun because yeah. I'm a head case on this already. Yeah. This is easy. So, you know, one, I look at one automotive group and there's one thing we don't have as of yet in our in our brand family, and that is domestics. Right. So what we don't what we aren't able to serve in our company right now is a full size SUV, a full 
full-size pickup, uh, heavy-duty pickups, things like that. So if I woke up one Christmas morning um, and, you know, got out of bed and my I could get my wish, it was under the tree, it would definitely be a domestic type of brand. That's That's something that we've been, you know, wanting to get for a long time. We all understand, though, that franchise law, the way it works is that you don't get to add a brand like that because other people already have those brands in the area. So if I and now if we went the other way um, what I would pick and what I would, um, you know, obviously love to have and see in this community are some more luxury brands. I would pick a BMW franchise. Unfortunately, BMW, um, you know, uh, those type of franchises typically only um franchise in metro areas and they do that because there's uh the market share is so much different that they have to draw from a bigger area so um i probably am not going to get my wish but that's 100 percent what it would be well kind of based off of of that you look at the area and especially in the last 10 years the growth in the area how has that impacted the the tastes of the people in the area and the type of, again, uh, customer you've seen come through the doors. And may, we might not be at a BMW level. Yeah, give it 20 years. Who the heck knows at this point? But how has that impacted, in addition to this time changes people's taste, but the growth, how has that impacted? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it definitely has, right? Like we've all watched the Chippewa Valley grow up. Um, we've watched the population. I mean, every year, you know, there's a new, new subdivision with a new row of houses that are being built. Um, it's definitely increased. And I'll I will say, that interrupt, just no. anecdotally, and I don't know the numbers there. You still have an awful lot of pickup trucks, <laughs> but you see a lot more sedans now in the area yeah. than you did even five years ago. Because as people come in from other metropolitan areas and what have you. Well, I don't want to call us a bedroom <laughs> community quite yet, but we're kind of not far away from it, right? Like that, that as you get across that state line over there, things just keep expanding this way. And people's tolerance for how far they'll drive or whether they work from home has changed a lot. And we Especially do, if they've got a nice car like you would sell them. Yeah. You know what? Exactly. Thank what, you, 100%. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the shameless plug. I needed that today. So I, I, I would say that I don't know that it has diversified our mix of cars, but we've we've always looked at it like we need to be able to sell cars to every market. And I think they're they're depending on the, the dealer group of the store you go to, you know, some cars, some dealerships won't sell a three thousand dollar car or a hundred thousand dollar car. And I focus on everything in between that. And so over the years, I, I do remember when I first moved here, I was probably the first dealer when I was at Chippewa Valley Mazda that would carry a Highline car. I started carrying BMWs. I started carrying Mercedes. I started carrying cars like that. Um, and, you know, they started selling and they started you know, here and there kind of moving and people would call me crazy. I would go to the local auctions and other dealers would be like, oh, wow, you're carrying a Mercedes. Like, you're nuts, buddy. Um, today, that's a commonplace car. And a BMW today, um, you know, it's funny when you compare MSRPs, it, it carries a stigma that it's a more expensive vehicle and it's a luxury vehicle. And it has a lot of great features, but a lot of them aren't any more expensive than a domestic car that is sitting out there on the lot. You know, you go look at a new Tahoe right now and, and you're going to need to take a breath when you walk away from the sticker. It's just the cost of doing business, you know. So I, I think the valley's definitely maturing. And I think the demographic has changed a lot. Look at what's happening to downtown. You know, it's 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 got a different population base. Not everybody's on the farm, um, you know, and I'm not I love farm people. That's why I try to hire all of them. But 
it's not just a one-stop type city anymore where people do a certain industry and that's what it is. Where it's medical here, there's technology here, there's all these different things and it brings in different people. And that said, you know, there, there, there's always a need for a, for a pickup truck and I've always been quick to tell people I, I'm not really somebody that's going to want a pickup truck, but I always want to have friends that have a pickup truck because we all... We all occasionally need to move something. Haven't you heard the Joe Diffie song? There's something women like about a pickup man. Like it's, it's, everybody's got to have a truck in the household. Well, Bill, I know we're kind of getting towards the end here, but there's a couple of more things I want to get out. I'll to stay so, all night. So the first one is how do you see the car buying experience evolving? I mean, we, we talked about, we used the T word. We talked about, so from your perspective, though, I mean, and you've done just an awesome job kind of going over the top in terms of, you know, buy happy and, yeah. you know, get the experience. But say three, five years from now, are things how are things going to change from where they are today? Well, I think it's already changed a lot, right? Like I think over the years, I say if you if in our industry, if you're not evolving and not changing, you're dying. And that's, I think, factual for every business. But if you're resistant to it in this business, you're probably in trouble. Um, you know, I, here's what I see. Um, I think the customer has raise their voice. And I think the industry that we, we that I work in um, was troubled for a lot of years. I think it had an identity crisis where it was stuck in a, a time 20 or 30 years ago. People want one thing today. They want transparency. In fact, they demand it. Um, and they have a voice and a platform to use that if you're not giving them transparency. And that's a good thing. And people used to say lots of things about, you know, like, oh, that person's just complaining because they're complaining. They have a voice that's much more amplified in today's world, and, and you got to be cognizant. you got to be hearing that. People want to come in, and I think when they walk in and they sit down, they want to trust, and, they, and they're, they have a right to trust. So when they sit down in front of you know, one of our salespeople, they want to know that we're cutting to the chase, right? Like nobody wants to spend – my dad would tell me he does. He still gets mad at me for being a best-price store. But nobody really wants to spend time negotiating. Cut out – tell me what your number needs to be, and let's move on. And – when you can back that up and you can give them data to verify it, they feel comfortable, they trust you, and they embrace that. Give an honest trade number. Don't try to be behind the wall and behind the curtain trying to steal somebody's car for $1,000 because your credibility is on the line. And we live in a small, uh, what I consider to be still a small town. That is, I think, the evolution of business is the customer wants faster, transparent, and they want to. They want every assurance that when they deal with somebody, when when that happens and something on the other side of it happens, that you're gonna you're gonna be there for them. Not just by your advertising slogan, not just by what the shingle you hang on the wall and 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 preach about, but you're really gonna be there. You know, Bill touched on something, and, and Jerry, I'm I'm hoping you agree. I'm pretty sure you do. No matter how big our area gets, one of the things I've noticed since I moved here is the the small town attitude in a good way, of the local business community that, yeah, everybody knows each other. So you make sure you're giving good deals. You, you can't hide because there's so many people you can hide behind. And I hope that's something that never leaves this area, no matter how big we get. Think about this. When we were in COVID, many dealers, and I, I will say to the credit of dealers in our area, nobody did it that I'm aware of. But Many dealers in the United States were taking the manufacturer's suggested retail price on new vehicles and adding to them because there was a shortage of inv inventory. And I see now in forums and things like that, those same dealers complaining that they're not selling any cars. And I think, well, that's just self-inflicted. You made it punitive to your customer. You charged them over sticker price. You, it, for lack of a better word, you gouged them because you could. And 
And now you can't understand why you don't have a customer. And that is just shocking to me that, that we, you know, we would never do that. And because we do have, when I go to, when I walk into Hy-Vee, I'm going to be looking at, you know, somebody I just sold a car to, and I don't want to be walking through my banker's line and have him be like, yeah, thanks Bill for, you know, selling me a car for $6,000 more than the MSRP. And guess what? I just changed jobs and this and that. And I tried to trade the car in cause I'm going to be traveling a lot. And they told me I was $18,000 upside down. That's, that's predatory in my mind. And that's a, that's problematic. And those are the things that I think most people are shedding in our industry, but we still have some hanger honors. Bill, final question. What do you drive? Oh, man. It's like I, you got me on that one. I'm, and I'm going to have to admit this. So I love every one of our brands. They are, um, you know, I'm obviously passionate about every one of them. I've driven every one of them. But um, I, what, what brand did I tell you I'd really like to bring to the BMW? Gym? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so five I've series, seven series. What do you add? It's an M850. Mm. And it is just the sweetest car. It really is. And I've always vowed to myself that when I drive a demo and I want to diversify, I'm not driving one that another dealer in town owns. So, you know, I'm not going to go to my buddy and be like, oh, I'm driving one of your cars this weekend. So I had to go with the BMW line. I love the car. Excellent. Bill, thank you so much. This has always been a pleasure and the time flies by way too quick. Thanks for listening to Scott and me chat with a beard today with Bill. If you like what you've heard, please give Bank with the Beer a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Northwestern Bank website, wherever you listen to the, your podcast from. Bank with the Beer is sponsored by Northwestern Bank. We're in communities where people matter. <laughs>